to the Single Greatest Choice podcast, where single women find support, empowerment, information, and inspiration around the topics of singleness, fertility, motherhood, and mindset. I'm your host, Katie B. After a decade of believing my dreams of motherhood hinged on finding Mr. Right, I finally found the courage to explore what it could look like to parent on my own. What I found on the other side of my fear was an incredible community of single mothers by choice. Conversations like the ones you'll hear on this show inspired me not only to jump headfirst into solo motherhood, but to provide support to others through coaching, community groups, and retreats as a single mother by choice mindset coach. Whether you're just starting to question what to do about your finite fertility, or whether you're ready to make the leap into solo motherhood by choice, I hope these conversations will help you to feel more supported and confident along the way. Because whatever you decide to do with these years could be the single greatest choice you'll ever make, and you don't have to make it alone. Hey, you guys, I hope you are having a wonderful week. Wanted to share a few announcements with you. There is one spot left in the last community group of the year. This group starts October 23rd, which is a Monday, and it runs for six weeks. This will be the last round for the year. And I'm going to be changing my business structure and my offerings a little bit in the new year. So I have more information coming about that. But if you've been thinking about joining a community group, maybe this last spot is for you. You can find more information on my website under the coaching tab. We are also currently booking for both the Sedona New Year's Eve trip and the El Culio, Mexico spring break trip. It's not too early to start planning for either of those. I'm enrolling for both. The best thing you can do if you're interested in a retreat is to go check out singlegreatestchoice.com slash retreats and learn all the details there. And then you can schedule a call with me to talk it all over and I'll answer any questions that you have and we can get you enrolled. The last thing I wanted to share with you is an update about the community directory. This is a completely free resource. It's for anyone anywhere in the world who is pursuing solo motherhood or maybe is already a single mother by choice and just wants to connect with other women who are pursuing this. This idea came to me because I was constantly trying to connect women to meet other women in their area. So I would meet two incredible women. I would find out they live nearby. And I was trying to hold all of that information in my head and facilitate email introductions. And it just became too big for me to hold in my head. So I wanted to capture it all in one place. And that is what the directory is. So the way the directory works is that you can always access it on my website, singlegreatestchoice.com slash resources. And you'll click on a link and you'll need a password to continue past that first page of resources. You can get that password by reaching out to me via email, or you can DM me on Instagram. The reason why it's password protected is that I just, I didn't want all of your personal information, your email address, your pregnancy status, all of these things just hanging out on the internet for anybody to find. So it's behind a secure wall. And once you get behind that wall, you'll be able to do two things. You can fill out the form so that you can add your own information to the spreadsheet. And you can also access the spreadsheet itself. The spreadsheet is divided into separate tabs for different time zones. I may have gotten some of those wrong, so please feel free to send me corrections if I missed anything. And if you ever need to make a change or an update to your entry, there are directions for doing that on the front page of the spreadsheet. Basically, you just fill it out again, but in the line where you put your name, you write the word update in all caps, and that will be my indication to delete your old one and add the new one. And I hope that this resource leads to even more connections all around the globe. You know, it's my favorite thing to do and my most important mission in all of the work that I do to help you feel less alone. So along those lines, I've got a great story for you this week. I'm really excited to introduce you to our guest, Becky. Becky is the mom of two beautiful boys. She is a wife to an amazing man, and she is an academic turned software trainer. Becky met her husband while she was in the process of becoming a single mom by choice. And he quickly became the father to her older son, even though he's not the biological father. 
And then in the years that followed, Becky and her husband grew their family together by adding an additional younger son who is biologically her husband's as well as hers. And I love their story so much because so often single mothers by choice feel like they're choosing this path over finding a partner. And Becky's story really shows that sometimes it works out that you can find one on the way to the other. She didn't wait to find a partner to pursue motherhood, but she also didn't wait to be on the other side of motherhood to pursue partnership. And um, you'll hear the ups and downs of what that was like for her. I just love her story, and I'm so glad that she was willing to share. So here is Becky. Hi, Becky. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so glad you're here. I am so thankful we have a mutual friend that put us in touch, and it's so fun because we are both here in Austin, but our friend is not. So it's just like really fun that she was able to connect us. And my, I know my listeners and my coaching clients for a long time have, have asked about stories of women who have met someone even as they pursued solo motherhood. And it's a big concern, I think, for a lot of women. They feel as if they're choosing one or the other. And so I'm really excited to hear your story because it sounds like you ended up with both. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to tell it. There's definitely not a handbook for these types of situations. So as much as I can share my story, I'm I'm happy to. Yes, I love that. And I love that even in the little bit of chatting we did before we hit record, that it's like very clearly, like it's always kind of messy. Like all of our stories are a little bit messy. And I love that it doesn't ever kind of fall into one or the other category, but it's just, it's just life, you know, it's just kind of the crazy craziness of life. I love it when women say, well, I didn't end up with someone when they're, you know, 36, 37, 38, as they're considering this. I'm like, have you ended up anywhere? Like you're not ended. You're just still going. Like you're not currently with someone and you would like to have a baby. That's different than where you ended up. Like you don't really end up till you die. Right. (laughs) Right. There's not an end point until it's really over. Like you said. Well, so where do you think that in terms of your motherhood and relationship journey, like where do you think it all started for you? Like where would you start the story if you were going to tell it? I would start on my 35th birthday because 35th birthday, I was in grad school. I was studying Hispanic literature at University of Texas. Wait, I was 35. I was out of grad school. Never mind. I had become a professor. I was at a university for a couple years. I realized that was not the plan that I wanted to do. And I had come back to teach at the university as a lecturer where I had gotten my PhD. And I was really at a standstill like career-wise too. That was part of the figuring out what I was doing in my life. So even more so, I was in a crappy apartment and I was very, very single I'm sure your listeners can relate to that where you just like, there's no one, like no prospects, no nothing. Sure. I was like dating around, but there was like nobody that I would want to even consider starting a life with. And I think the 35th birthday hit me really hard emotionally when I kind of looked at my life and said, all of my friends are kind of moving on with their lives, moving on with their careers having families and what have I done and what do I want to do? And I realized in that moment that I wanted to have a family. It almost felt like it was, I don't know, taboo to even search on the internet for single moms. How do I have a baby without a man kind of question? Like, I don't even know what I was, what I started searching for, but 
I started developing this idea. I found the Single Moms by Choice website and started developing this idea that I could actually do it on my own. And I got really excited about it. I talked to my family about it. They were also really excited about it and started going through the process. And is your family here in Texas? Like, are you, have you always lived in Texas or you came here for school? No, I grew up in the Fort Worth area. So my family is still in, or they were still at that point in the Fort Worth area. My mom has since moved closer to be close to the grandkids. They were really excited that it was like this was going to be their first grandkid. I have an older brother, but he doesn't have any kids. So when I told them, you know, I think that I don't want to say they had given up hope, but my mom would always like say these comments like, well, I sure hope you have a kid while I can still get up off the ground after I play with them. (laughs) Like, I know you're getting old, mom, but don't put so much pressure on me. There's nothing happening at this point. So I found a doctor and started going through the entire process. And I realized through the process that I also have fertility issues. So my tubes are scarred enough that I had to go through the surgeries. They tried to fix the tubes and ended up switching doctors, which I'm happy to talk about if we want to go that route as well. But I ended up switching doctors. Well, I am doctors curious to the- who you used cause, just because we're in the same city and I had like positive and negative experiences. You don't have to say here on, on the podcast if you don't want to. No, but. I'm happy to I'm happy to share. Um I started out at I don't even remember the name of the place, but it was Dr. Silverman. And I know a lot of people have had good experiences with him, but I did not. I felt like I was kind of just just a number, you know, okay, come on, you know, here's another one. Let's go. Let's do this. And then there was an issue with the very first time I was doing IUI for the first round. And this was when, you know, I had first made the decision. I bought some sperm, you know, picked a sperm donor, you know, did all of the whole process. And I go in and they were unfreezing the sperm. And it was actually another doctor that was on call that day when I was ovulating. And it was like, okay, let's do the IUI. And she's like, let's just do a sonogram first because I was reading your chart and it looks like you only have one side. Let's just make sure that you're ovulating on that side. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Mm, They hadn't even told you. She was like, "Um, you know that you only ovulate on one side at a time. And I was like, no. First of all, like I consider myself a pretty, you know, educated person. I was like, no, I don't. How did I not know this? I don't know. Why didn't you guys tell me this? How did I not know this? Like, I think we all assumed that we all knew it. And she did the sonogram and she's like, you're not ovulating on the side that you have a tube on. We can't do the IUI. We've already unfrozen the sperm. This is my first experience with an IUI. And I left there like in tears. I remember sitting in the parking lot and being like, this is not how this is supposed to feel, how this is supposed to start. Like the beginning of this new adventure, this is not how this is supposed to feel. And that's when I switched doctors. So I I found Dr. Crawford years ago. That's my doctor too. That's your doctor. <laughs> well, I know she's been on this podcast as yes. well, right? Yeah, she was amazing. She sat down with me in her office and literally took notes for me. She said, you don't need to take notes. Just listen to me. I'm going to take notes. We're going to talk. 
And she told me all of my options. She was so honest with me. And I was like, okay, yeah, I want to work with you. I felt like I was talking to a friend, like someone mm-hmm. who actually... Totally. Yeah. yeah. We are so lucky to have access to that type of care here because she, I think she really is like one in a million. And I know women who listen to this show follow her from like all over the world. And also I think in every city, there are better and worse fits for different women. And there is like some resistance to changing clinics because there is, there's usually a cost. Usually it, yes. it might cost you a month or two of your you know cycles plus you know, the startup the transfer appointment. Of the yeah. sperm, if you have sperm or eggs that are But if frozen. you're uncomfortable and there is another option in the city or even, you know, in, in the next city over or something like it, it is worth, I think, trying to find someone who you totally trust because there are so many parts of this that just feel like completely out of control. So just to know that the person who's driving and like making the, the decision about like the protocol and the drugs and the, you know, all of the things knows what they're doing and that you fully believe them. I mean, I remember I had one IUI with my first doctor who I absolutely didn't trust. I had the IUI and then I went home and took an ovulation test because I didn't trust that he had the timing right. Like I should wow. not be doing this. Like I should not be double checking his work on the timing. <laughs> like we're paying way too much money to have that. Absolutely. Kind of and it shows that you don't have that trust. I mean, you hit the nail on the head when you said like, Dr. Crawford, these types of doctors are one in a million, but they're like the types of doctors that you can. I mean, I would, I did trust her with my life various times. Like I would trust her with my life all over again because I know that she sees me as a person and she understands like the situation and she understands the emotion of it too. Like that's almost harder than the actual physical part of all of it. Totally. Yeah. Speaking of the emotion, like where were you emotionally in all of this? Were you like grieving the idea that you weren't doing this with a partner or did that come pretty easily? I know women have like all different experiences with how easy it is to kind of switch up their expectations. At that point, I think I was like, I don't need a man. I can do this myself, like girl power. I'm going to figure it out. I have my brother. I have my dad. Like those are strong male figures for this kid's life. I have my mom to help me with like the being a mom questions and the care. And I think at that point I was like, I don't need a man. And through the majority of the process, I didn't feel that part missing in my soul. Like this is something that I need. I was like, I can do this without, you know, thanks to technology, thanks to science. I can do this. Great. Even better. I don't have to deal with all of the (laughs) dating a man. I would say I felt very similar, but like my thing was I worried what other people would make it mean that I didn't have a man. Like I knew internally that I was okay, but I, I liked the idea of other people seeing me partnered. Because that meant something about my value or my attractiveness or something. Was that a struggle for you at all? Or were you just kind of like, F it, this is what I'm doing? You know, looking back on it, I think if anything, it was, I was hesitant about it because I felt like people would think like, oh, well, you know, she's part of this group of women that couldn't find a man. Like I was a failure in some way that I couldn't do it the way that other people have done it. And the process lasted so long, like trying to get pregnant, 
lasted two years, two and something years. So I think at some point it just became kind of mechanical that I was like, I have to get through this. I have to do this. I have to keep going. Those worries kind of fell away little by little as I talked to more and more people, heard more and more stories, which is why I love this podcast that you're doing, because it's way more common than the typical person in quotes would think that it is that, I mean, there are lots of women who have done similar, if not the exact same things. So what year was it when you started thinking about doing this? Cause it sounds like the single mother by choice website was available. Like, were you finding women, like were there the big Facebook groups and Instagram, were you seeking out other local connections? I did seek out like the Austin Single Moms by Choice. There was a larger Single Moms by Choice Facebook group as well. This was, let's see, I was 35, so it would have been 2016. There were resources out there. I wasn't really kind of looking around in the dark. When I looked around, I I was able to find support. And those Facebook groups really gave me a lot of support through the whole process. What's interesting, and I'll I'll get to this later, but once I did have my son, one of the Facebook groups asked me to leave because I was technically never a single mom by choice. Interesting. And I was like, but I am. I made the choice to be a mom. I had a sperm donor. I That will always be the decision that I made for my son. And I was really surprised. And the administrator insisted. She was like, no, but you were with your partner before you had your baby. So it doesn't count. Okay. You gotta, you gotta take us back. (laughs) (laughs) I know a little bit of your story, but okay. So you said it took two years for you. Yes. Sorry. I jumped ahead because you mentioned Um, Facebook groups, but yeah, yeah, let me, (laughs) I did a few IUIs with the first clinic. And then when I started with Dr. Crawford, um, did a few surgeries and then she was like, let's just, you know, you want to do this now. Let's be aggressive with it. Let's do IVF. So I did first round of IVF after um, I ended up having both tubes removed. So I have to do IVF if I want to have babies and if I want to have babies in the future. So did the first round of IVF, didn't work. And then I was getting kind of frustrated. I was 37 at this point. It was like two years in. I hadn't dated anybody in this whole time. Because of that fear of like, what am I going to say to someone? First of all, I'm taking all these hormones. I'm gaining weight. I feel like crap. Like I feel like I'm, you know, all over the place. And, you know, what am I going to say to someone if I go on a date with them? Yeah, How does that conversation even work? And so I didn't. And then I got just, I was like, I just want someone. I just want to go on a date with someone. I want someone to tell me I'm pretty. I want them to buy me dinner. Like I just need some you know, romantic attention. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, I'm going on Tinder. I just want something, no strings attached. I'm going on Tinder. (laughs) And I laugh at it because I'm like, it just seemed like such a crazy idea at the time. And, you know, I go through a few profiles and I see this one profile and I'm like, oh, this guy's really handsome. He speaks Spanish. 
he had a really good grammar when we were chatting. And that is <laughs> weird. Turn on. turn on for me. <laughs> kind of a nerd. The academic uh, in you. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wow, okay, this guy. Um, and his all of his pictures were like these modeling shots. And I was like, I'm pretty sure this is catfish. You know, I'm pretty sure this is not actually his pictures. But I ended up suggesting that he come over one night when a friend of mine was over. And this friend of mine is kind of my, she's my support and that she's like, Becky, you can do anything. You can do whatever you want to do, you know, screw them, whatever. And so she was kind of helping me along with the whole process on Tinder. I was like, okay, I'll tell him to come over. You're here. And she ended up having to leave. And so he ended up coming over to my house when she wasn't there. We had a glass of wine. He was a perfect gentleman. And it was like this weird interview, me being the interviewer and him being the interviewee. And I was like, where are you from? What do your parents do? Do you have any kids? Da, da, da. <laughs> it was, it was I can see thing. how he really got reeled in there. <laughs> Way to put the moves on him. <laughs> I know, right? Like super romantic. And that was not my plan. I was like, this is going to be romantic. He's going to like take me out to dinner and, you know, it'll be really nice. And instead I interviewed him. And then I was like, ah, oh, this guy's going to, yeah, I'm not going to hear from him again. And he calls me on the way home. And I was like, oh, okay maybe he's interested. So on the second date was when I was like, okay, I have to tell him I'm not going to let it go any farther because I don't want it to become a thing, like an issue. And you know what? I'm not attached to this. I don't care if he doesn't come around anymore after that. He doesn't. Done. So you mean you weren't attached to the idea of him? You were attached exactly. to the parenthood. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I was way more attached to the idea of parenthood. I was not attached to the idea of this like random guy who didn't end up being a catfish after all. He it, it was his picture. <laughs> so. And w- where were you in the process? Like, were you making embryos? Were you doing egg retrievals? Like what was happening? Were you in between cycles? I had already done one IVF. I had the second round of the transfer. So I already had all of my embryos tested and everything. And I had the second transfer on the calendar. Okay. So I was taking meds. Yeah. So this is why you're on Tinder and not like Bumble (laughs) or Hinge. (laughs) I just wanted, yeah, I, I just wanted something romantic. I think, yeah, part of it was due to hormones. Who knows? So anyway, I was like, I, I have to, I have to tell him about this. And so I made him dinner and then I was like, hey, so um, by the way, I'm trying to have a baby, but not with you. And he was like, okay. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, really? That's your reaction? You know, it's kind of like you were, we were talking before the podcast that some of your guy friends that you met through dating apps or, or whatever, were like, hey, that's cool. You know, I'd much rather a, a woman already have a kid or, you know, like be in the process of of having a kid and me not be part of it. And then I don't have any responsibility of it. And it was interesting because we had quite a few dates like in succession. And I remember I told him that night and he, he had a few questions, but he almost didn't seem very interested. And I was like, okay, well fine, you know, had a good time. And then we had a few more dates. We kept enjoying each other's company and like a few dates along, he was like, 
hey, so I have some questions about this baby thing. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I knew this might come up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he, his biggest question was, he wanted to understand the process. And his biggest question was, so there's no dad, like none, none, like not in the picture, but like there. And I was like, no, like there's no dad. It's a sperm donor. That's it. Like I've never met him. I don't know. Like he's not going to try to show up, which really like back to that conversation we had before recording the men that I talked to were like that. That's actually ideal. Like the guy that I talked to, he was like, let me break it down. I'm late thirties. I don't necessarily want to date a woman in her twenties because we've just had like different life experiences. I want to date a woman in her thirties. But if I'm dating a woman in her thirties who I know wants kids, like that puts pressure on me because I don't want to take up too much of her time if I'm not sure. So I'm less likely to like give it a chance. He wasn't, it's not that it scared him off. It's like, he just doesn't want to be a dick. Like he doesn't want to like take up, you know? And so he was like trying to be respectful, but he was like, so I guess I would prefer to date a woman that already has kids or doesn't want kids to one that like wants kids and doesn't have them. But then he was like, but if she's going to have kids, it would be ideal that she didn't have like the baby daddy. So actually he's like, I feel like you've cracked the code. Like this is really the only thing you can do to (laughs) to still be dateable. (laughs) So we like had this whole equation. I was like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. It was so helpful. We were also like- I think that my husband, yeah, but I think my husband would agree. I think he would be like, yeah, that was like ideal. And we actually had a conversation just recently. Now we've been married- over five years now. But just recently he was like, I was like, why, why were you so okay with it at the beginning? Like, why did it seem like a good idea to you to date someone who was trying to have a baby who was not going to be your biological baby? He already has two daughters. He had two daughters before we met. And he was like, honestly, I thought it would be really cool to have a son. And you told me that you'd picked the gender. <laughs> it was a boy. And I was like, really? Like that was what made the deal. And he was like, yeah. And I think all of the other things that you just mentioned, but it was an interesting conversation because him and, and my son are like two peas in a pot. Like, especially when my son was younger, I would almost get a little jealous because I was like, why are they so close? And I'm not closer to him. Like he's my biological son. Mm-hmm. I love it though. At the same time, watching them together, it's it's just amazing. But jumping ahead again. So yeah. so you started dating your husband before you were pregnant, like while you were yes. in the process, but before mm-hmm. the transfer. So was that next transfer that you did after you met him? Was that the one that stuck? That was the one. That was the one that stuck. And he actually asked me, he's like, do you want me to take you to your appointment. And I was like, no, I don't even know you. (laughs) It was so strange. It was just surreal. I was like, no, my friend's going to take me instead. One of my girlfriends. Yeah. It was really surreal when I did the pregnancy test and, and it came out positive. And I was like, I'm having a baby. I almost didn't know if I should show him. Because every time we would like move forward in the process, I was like, this guy's going to leave. And by that point, you know, we were a few months in at that point, I was getting more attached. We were, it was supposed to be 
no strings attached, just a Tinder thing. But it, you know, we kept enjoying each other's company and we're getting more and more attached. And I was like, he's going to leave at any minute. Then I got pregnant. And then, you know, all the hormones and all of the emotions that came with it. And honestly, Katie, at some point I was like, I don't, I don't know why he stays. I was not a nice person when I was mm-hmm. pregnant. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it yeah. is like what you're experiencing on a day-to-day basis. The like actual roller coaster that you're on is real, but then also the not knowing, like I think about how I have one child right now. I hope to have a second and I think that I will enjoy that second pregnancy so much because I will, even though every pregnancy can be different, like I never really had morning sickness, but I was always waiting for it, like sure that it was going to start the next day. Right. And so if I just kind of knew like, oh, there's a possibility that it just won't happen or um, just like bracing yourself for like how, how it might be. I could see that just even like, you don't know what your body's about to do or like how it's going to feel to be. 38 weeks pregnant or whatever, you know, just all the things that are coming. That's like a very vulnerable state to be in, even if you're with a partner whose baby it is as well. Right. But like a new relationship and like, it's not their biological child. So there's not that like kind of innate drive to like attach. Yeah. I can imagine that was an interesting time. I I would not recommend dating, you know, getting to know someone while you're pregnant. I look back at it now and I realize we got to know each other really quickly and really intensely because that was the only way that we could have. Yeah. There was a little time bomb happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which and, you, like, know, you say you don't recommend it. And yet, like when I think about, I, I have the privilege of speaking with like literally hundreds of women who are single mothers by choice or considering it. And I can think of two women right now who met someone during their pregnancies um, and carried on like through that relationship, through their pregnancies with first pregnancies. And like, again, like it's so vulnerable, just like what's happening with your body, what's happening with your emotions, not knowing like how you're going to be as a mom, what birth is going to be like, all of that. But women do do it. And I think when it's the right relationship, you, you figure it out. I mean, maybe it's not ideal, but Yeah, I, I think you're right. I would, I would maybe rephrase, not that I don't recommend it, but emotionally, (laughs) mentally, it was rough. It was like, you know, fast forwarding the VHS tape from year one to year five or 10 of a relationship. It felt like everything just happened like all at once. And you know what, like, single moms by choice, we're doing things not by the book anyway. We're doing things not so traditionally. So why not? I mean, at least be open to the idea. Like, what do you think would have been different if let's say you'd been dating him for a month and then you got pregnant and it was his baby? Like, do you think, is it just the idea that you were having a baby that early on in the relationship or was it like specifically that it was not biologically his baby? If it had been, and now of course it it wouldn't have been biologically, you know, scientifically possible because of the tubes and all of that. But if if I had gotten pregnant with his baby, I think it would have definitely been different. I almost feel like during my pregnancy and right afterwards, I did things intentionally to see if he would leave. Because I was like, I just don't want it to go any further if he's gonna end up leaving. 
So he might as well leave now. And poor guy, he just kept sticking around. <laughs> he was like, I'm in it. I'm in it. I for the totally long run. <laughs> relate to that. I there is a man who is a lovely person. I went on my first date with him in 2019. And actually, I just got a text from him last week. He sends a text like once every six months. Apparently still interested. I don't I don't know what his deal is, but we went on a date when I was five months pregnant. And I remember so clearly like that we went on a walk. We were, were walking this beautiful trail in Austin. It was December, but it was sunny and warm. And I just remember thinking, it's like when there's a song that you love, but you like associate it with an ex or like, you know how like places and songs and things get like tied to people. And I just thought I can't have you in my pregnancy because I don't know if I trust you. Like if we were to date and then break up or like, I just didn't want him tied to that period. I wanted that period of my life to be about my baby. And I was like scared to let him in because it could be good or it could be like really bad, but like either way it would be about him. And I just was like, I don't think I want this right now. I think that's a good way to articulate it. I in some way felt the same way. And then another part of me, I guess the stronger part of me was like, this could be really good. This could turn out really well. But around every corner, I was like, just waiting for him to leave. I know he's going to leave. Like, I know, I know it's going to happen. Thankfully, that feeling is not there anymore. Yeah, but <laughs> I would hope so. Five years in. When did it go away? Like, was that still the state of things when you gave birth? Or was he there when you gave birth? What, what was that like? It was a strange situation. So he was there. We had not gotten married yet because I we talked about it. But he, I was like, we need to wait until the baby gets here before we even talk about getting married because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what kind of mom I'm going to be. I don't know how I'm going to feel. So he was there. We were not married. My mom was there. And there was a very awkward interaction where... My son was born and the doctor was like, okay, who's going to cut the cord? Mom, grandmom, I guess, dad. And of course, it's hard to explain to the doctors. No, it's not actually the dad. I'm like, you know, like that's weird. And he looked at it and he, he looked at the cord and he was like, no, I'm not cutting it. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, somebody, mom, come over here. <laughs> like, it was very strange. And the next few days were really strange too in the hospital when they kept calling him dad. And then I started thinking, you know, is the kid going to call him dad? Do we call him? Do we start calling him dad? And I was like, this is exactly what I was trying to avoid by having a kid without a guy. Like I didn't want this whole mess of, right. I don't know. Um, and it's almost like you, once you wrap your head around doing it alone and you get so like ingrained in like that this is the way I'm doing things you like sort of forget like that everyone is going to look at him and think he's dad you know that like the, it's not automatic like I had an experience in the labor and delivery room where like I got to the hospital pretty late I was like nine and a half centimeters dilated I had no idea that I was like that far along and it was like a if you can wait to push until the doctor gets here wait and I was like I don't think I'm going to be waiting but they said over and over, and I like vaguely remember this, but I, my doula kind of told me back my birth story. They were like, are we waiting for anyone? Are we waiting for anyone? And 
at one point I was like, I don't know. I've never done this before. Who are we waiting for? Like thinking it was like a medical professional. <laughs> and they were I mean, like my partner. And it like didn't even occur to me that like I would be the one bringing someone else into my birth. Like, yeah, especially when they ask it like that, because they're trying to be politically correct. Right, right. But at the they're same not saying time, spend or whatever. Yeah. But I was like very ambiguous. And I was like, my first rodeo, y'all are going to have to guide me here. <laughs> <laughs> It was honestly, it was very ambiguous for the first six months that my son Benji was alive. It was really great because my husband had had kids before. He knew way more about being a parent than I did. He was like, let me show you how to breastfeed. And I like half the time I'd be like, you don't know anything, get away from me. And the other half the time I'd be like, thank you. Thank you for showing me this. So it was actually really nice to have his experience there. But at the same time, it was, it was so ambiguous. It was so hard to find words to explain who he was to the baby. And it was just a weird it's a weird situation anyway. Having well, and to baby. give him like any kind of attention at that time or to be like in any kind of flux, either like in conversation with one another or just even in your own heads of like, what are we? Is this long term? Yeah. Like, how are yeah, you going to take just... care of the baby? Are you going to do diapers? Are you going to do feedings? Are you going to like, you know, are you taking on the role of dad? Or are you taking on the role of like boyfriend who who's living at my house, who... I was going to ask you that. So you guys were living together? We were living together. So he moved in right like midway through the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So he, I mean, when he moved in, he understood there would be diapers. Like, and he had done diapers before. Like he he knew what he was signing up for. He knew what he was getting into before I knew what I was getting into. (laughs) So yeah, after six months, we got married and had a small wedding. His parents... He's from Colombia. So his parents came and stayed with us. His parents and his grandmother came and stayed with us. They showed up for the wedding and then stayed for, God, it feels like it was two months. I think it might have been a month and a half. It's a very long time to have my very new in-laws at my house when I was a new mother in a new relationship. I'm surprised that they weren't like, uh, son, what have you done? Right. (laughs) But yeah, then, you know, the weeks turned into months and then we started talking about having another baby. There was an interesting discussion about, well, I had gotten five good embryos in my first rounds of IVF Mm -hmm. who are biological sibling or would be biological siblings of my, my son. And we talked about it for a bit. I was like, well, I have three embryos left because the first IVF didn't work. Second one did. So I have three embryos left. Could we use those embryos? Then my son would have a full biological sibling. And we went back and forth on it. We knew that if we did the whole process again, harvest the eggs again, fertilize the embryos with my husband's sperm, then... It's a much more expensive process. We'd have to, you know, do all of that again. And who knows? I mean, by that point, I was, what, 38, 39 at that point. And so I was like, I I don't know. I don't know what kind of embryos I'm going to get. So we kept the old 
Embryo, I don't know if you would say old in quotes, but like your original embryos. Yeah. Yeah. The original ones. And then we did the whole process again, but with my husband's sperm, Dr. Crawford was amazing. She was like, okay, now we know what works. We're just going to repeat exactly that. And the first round worked. We got, we got some good embryos and the first round worked. And now we have my younger son, who's two and a half, Isaac, who is my husband's biological son. So then, of course, you know, all these questions come up of like, they're not full siblings, but they are because for me, like blood doesn't necessarily determine or biology doesn't necessarily determine family. My younger son looks a lot more like my husband, obviously, than my older son does. My husband is very dark skin, dark hair, dark eyes. My younger son is still my coloring, but he has a lot of his features. And so we all, we're all kind of a rainbow, all of us, when you look at us together. But at first, I had some hesitation there because I was worried that later on, my boys would have questions about, are we really brothers? Why does Isaac have a different last name than Benji? Because Benji has my last name and Isaac has both of our last names because I didn't change my last name. So at this point, they're two and a half and they're five. We haven't had a lot of questions about that. My husband comes from his older brothers, his half brother. So I asked him and his half brother a lot of questions about like, how was it when you guys were growing up? Y'all were close in age. Did other kids, did other families ask you questions? Like, why don't you look? the same. And he said that his older brother would always just answer, what? He's my brother. What are you asking? So, you know, I haven't gotten there yet. I I mean, fast forward 10 years and we may be having a very different conversation, but at least at this point, the boys don't seem to have any issues per se with like last names and especially my older son. He understands last names he understands that we all have different last names and maybe it's good that we all have different last names because maybe he thinks that's just how families are. Yeah. I don't know. It's so interesting because I have spoken with women who are like single mothers by chance. So either they had a baby with someone that they weren't even partnered with at the time, like it was sort of an accidental pregnancy or they were coupled and then they split up whether they were married or just in a relationship And then they decided to have their second child as a single mother by choice. And that tends to be the story that I hear more often. And so it's the concern tends to be the older child spends every other weekend at a biological parent's house. And like the younger one won't have that. And why does he go over there? And I don't go over there. Like those types of questions. But you have a situation where like both of your boys are being parented by the same man and like live in the same household and like call him dad, like have the same dad. Um, They just don't have the same biological father. So I feel like the issues will be different, maybe more nuanced in the conversations or maybe just like not a big deal at all. Like it might just not be a big deal to them. Yeah. And I would like to hope that we live in a community in Austin. We live in a society where maybe that generation, it's not going to matter to them. Maybe they're not going to care. Yeah, I think that's true. I think 
especially when it's always been their normal, you know, and it's not like some shocking revelation that they're going to discover as adults or something, you know, that you're going to talk to them as the questions come up and just very matter of fact. And this is, you know, the way it was, and this is what happened. And I think that like knowing that your older son has pictures of him with your husband at a very young age and like memories of, you know, stories where like, that's his dad. Like he was there, he was there all along. He may have questions about his biological origins later that he may want to explore, but he's got a very like safe base from which to do that. Like, it's not like he's seeking some like missing parent. It might just be like some missing part, like some questions about his heritage, but like it's different than I've never had a dad. I wonder what it's like to have a dad. Absolutely. I agree with that. And I think, I think you're right. And that he's not going to be trying to fill a hole. He's just, he'll have questions. Yeah. As anyone would. I mean, that's, I would as well. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So did your, did your husband adopt your son or is that something you guys have considered or is he, are you the only parent? We have talked about it. I am the only legal parent for my older son at this point. And we've said, you know what, when Benji is old enough, if he wants my husband to adopt him, great. But we would want it to be Benji's decision. I hesitated to do it right away when we got married because I thought, you know what, like this was what I was trying to avoid by having a child by myself. I didn't want to avoid the mess of like, what happens if we get divorced? So my husband, he didn't feel the need to do it at that point either. And so we were like, yeah, we'll just wait until Benji makes the decision to do it. He said, as soon as Benji asked me to, I'll do it. Great. Yeah. I love that. That's such a beautiful way to do it because at that point, that kind of indicates that Benji thinks of him as his, like he will always be his, his dad, regardless of your relationship status, even if like something were to happen in your relationship that he would still see him as his dad. And we, we actually like in my will and testament, I have Nestor as like, where will Benji go? If I die, he'll go with Nestor. And I know that's probably sort of a given in most situations, but we put it in my will because I wanted to make sure. And that's, I know that's not like, you know, legal custody, but it's as close to it without it right. becoming. And I think custody. any court would rule, especially because they would want to keep your boys together. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things to consider though, when you're in these types of situations. And like I mentioned before, there's no like handbook. There's no, Hey, by the way, you know, we had this exact situation and you should do ABC because all of the situations are so different and so strange. And we don't hear about these types of situations very often. Well, and I I love hearing your story because I, I think it's so helpful for women to hear that you found that partner kind of just at the last minute, like really, really at the last minute. And a lot of people think that that's like the fairy tale, right? And what I hear from you is like, this was a really amazing thing. And also there's some parts of it where like it, it took away a little bit of some of the decisions that you'd made for yourself. And there were like some, some of the navigating that you had to do that you wouldn't have had to do had this guy not come into your life. Like it wasn't just all good or all bad it was nuanced. And I think that that's important for for women to hear, because I think there are a lot of women who are taking steps towards solo motherhood, 
And also just hoping that like some man will come in and like save them from <laughs> having to charming do- will right? arrive. Like, yeah. You still have all of these things to consider of like, it could really complicate things. It does. It makes the, the situation much more complex. And I would be lying if I said that there were not times that, you know, in all of the five and a half years that my son has been alive and the, you know, the nine months of pregnancy before where I said, hmm, maybe this would be easier without him. Maybe I shouldn't have done it like this. Like, maybe I should just tell him to leave. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, okay. I love him. He's a wonderful guy. Of He's course, you know, of course. great, but like, right. You know, Relationships are hard. Like it's, and parenting it's all hard. It's hard. And kids are, you know, sometimes really frustrating and like all of that together, especially when I was so close to doing it solo, it's always on my mind. Should it have been a different way? Much more than if I had gone a traditional route, gotten married and then had kids. Yeah. Yeah. So is there any difference or anything that you do want to say about like having one child who is donor conceived and one child with a partner. I'm asking kind of for a selfish reason, because this is something I think about a lot. Probably the number one reason I'm not dating is just because I don't have time because I'm like working two full-time jobs and have a toddler. But the number two reason is that I really want a second child. And I think my son, I mean, I might be slightly biased, but I think he's like pretty close to perfection. And so I'm like, I just, if I could just have another him, I would like, that's what I would do. And so like, what if I met someone and they wanted me to have their baby? And like, I just kind of want to have <laughs> my embryos, right? <laughs> like, yeah. So I'm just curious how that's been for you to have two children with like, you know, they're both yours and they're both, and they're really both your husband's, but they're biologically not, right? It's interesting that you ask it like that. I was thinking like, would I have thought that had I been farther along, had I had my older son first and then met my husband? The great thing about my younger son is he's a lot like my husband. I know that sounds so cheesy to say. No, that's really sweet. That's (laughs) really sweet. We joke because I have an easier time with my younger son and my husband has an easier time with the older one. And we joke that my husband fell in love with me and my older son is much more like me. So of course he would click with him. And then I fell in love with my husband. My younger son is much more like my husband. So of course, I have an easier time with him. So what I really love is, I know that, you know, if you have two kids, even if if you had a partner and you had a second kid that was not biologically his, it might even still be more like him just because of him growing up with that kid or that kid Mm -hmm. growing up with him. So, well, and it's something I really thought, I mean, I, I was planning to do a transfer after I got my embryos back. I had a lot of disappointment that I had fertilized all of the eggs that I had frozen and fresh because we thought that's what it would take to get enough good embryos. And it turned out I had, I had also had five embryos, which was more than I needed. And then I experienced a lot of disappointment that I like used up like literally put all my eggs in one basket. And I had wished I had saved some of the eggs in for case. a potential. Yeah. And, and, you know, we couldn't have known that I only had 12 eggs to start with. So it, it was like very unlikely that I was going to get five embryos. So I ended up doing a third retrieval 
I actually had the transfer date and the transfer meds. Everything was like in my fridge, ready to go, had the whole schedule. And then I ended up doing another retrieval cycle instead of the transfer, just so I would have those eggs. So that's how much I thought I might want to have a child with a partner, or at least preserve that possibility. Um, So it's so interesting, like where I am now that I'm like, oh, that would just be so complicated. And I can't imagine doing that, you know, because I have some very expensive eggs frozen just for that case, but like, I, I likely won't use them. But I don't know, maybe I'm a little inspired to get on Tinder. We'll see. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you after this weekend how it goes. Yeah. Let me know. Let me know how it goes. Uh-huh. Uh, it's it's always a crapshoot. You never know. What's interesting too, and and I'm sure you've talked about this in, in some of your other podcasts, was my husband and I had a really interesting conversation when we decided that two kids was as many as we wanted. We're not going to have any more kids after two. And we had three embryos left over from the original group of embryos. And then two or three left over from the second group of embryos. And we were like, what do we do with these embryos? They're fertilized. I I said, I want to donate them. I want to help out another person who possibly might not have the eggs and I don't know if they would want to choose the same sperm donor or have a, a, you know, have my husband's sperm, but maybe they do. And so we had a lot of strange conversations about what happens with those embryos. There were some things that he had different opinions on in terms of that versus what I did. We, in the end, decided to, to donate all of the embryos, but There were a few times when in my head, I thought I wouldn't have to ask you about this if it was Mm -hmm. just me. Wow. Okay. So have they already gone to other families? I don't know. We've donated them. Okay. I don't know if they've been picked up or not. Okay. So do you, will you get that information? Like, will your information be shared or is it anonymous or how does that work? It's completely anonymous. Okay. So I won't know. Uh, We won't know. If they're even, I mean, they might just sit and be frozen for decades. Who knows? Oh my gosh. That would drive me insane to not know. <laughs> would it? To me, I think I would prefer to not know. Okay. I can see that side too, for sure. Cause that's a lot, but there is the possibility now that in 20 years or so, or maybe even less that you'll be contacted by a teenager or by, you know, by someone who is biologically a full sibling of your child. Could be. Yeah. And interested in knowing you. So you now are potentially a donor. Yes. Um, However, we made it completely anonymous that we wouldn't want any contact from the child later on. And the reason behind that is was we talked a lot about it. We went to therapy sessions about it. And the reason behind it was really what our definition of family is. And for us, probably even more so for us, our definition of family really doesn't depend on biology. So in that respect, we said that person would really, we wouldn't consider them family because they weren't raised in our family. They weren't part of our family. They may be biologically a sibling and that can be important for health reasons. But for us, we decided that that was not our definition of family. 
And I know other people have very different opinions on that, but it's interesting conversations to have when, when you start to think about donating them and then also involving the opinion of someone else that you didn't think would actually be part of this process. Right. And so I wonder, like, is, is that similar with your thoughts in terms of your older son's donor and potentially donor siblings or like those connections there? Or is that something you're like not too yeah. interested in connecting not, or? Yeah. Not at all. You know, I know some people kind of look at the donor siblings as cousins or, you know, I, I know they call them siblings, but for me, I'm not not interested in in that side of it. I wouldn't push my son if he's interested in maybe meeting the donor after he's 18. I don't even remember if I think that the donor, it was like a completely closed. I think I chose one like that because Mm -hmm. of that. I was just not interested in, in my son really ever meeting him because I don't think that there's a point to it. I don't know. It it is so interesting how it is completely like our our own definition of family. And I I had a really interesting experience where I was friends, just kind of virtual, like during COVID connected with this woman who is also pursuing solo motherhood. And we had really connected. We'd had lots of conversations and gotten to know each other. And I had my baby and she had her baby. And we were just friends who were both solo moms. And then we found out we shared a donor. And all of the sudden, like within an instant, they were family. And I see pictures of her daughter and I I think, and it is like you said, like cousins or like, it's just, but the only thing that changed was my thoughts. Like biologically, our kids were always half siblings and we could have gone a lifetime without knowing it. And I would have not thought anything, you know, it would have been just like a friend's kid, but that was a decision. And the way I know that it's like a decision or a thought that creates that sense of family is that we have lots of donor siblings, like lots, like dozens. And I don't think of all of them that way. It just happens to be because of the connection and the friendship with the mom, like just because it's fun that they're family, then like we've allowed them to be family in the same way that like, I grew up with an aunt who is not biologically related to me. She's my parents' best friend, like, but she's family, you know, and she would always be considered as like part of the family tree, even though I don't know where her branch fits in because she's not biologically related, you know? Sure. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it. I've definitely, with other single moms by choice, been like, oh, wait, you use the same donor, you know, the same sperm bank? Uh, who is your donor? Right, and then, like, what's the donor <laughs> number? <Yeah. laughs> and I have yet to find someone. I don't know how how that would be. I I think that's an interesting situation. Yeah, I have one other kind of family-related question for you about your husband's older daughters and like where they fall into the mix and like if they're part of your household, if they're kind of... Yeah. So his oldest daughter is in Colombia. They had her when he was in Colombia. So I have yet to meet her. We don't see her here. He does call and stay in touch with her. She knows that she has brothers here and she always did consider Benji, my older son, a brother. She also has half brothers and a half sister, I think, from later on as well. So I think for her, the idea of this mixed family is not so strange. The younger one lives close to us and just south of Austin. 
and we get to see her. I would like to see her more, but she just visits, you know, on the weekends sometimes. She also does consider both boys, you know, they're both her brothers. She doesn't think of them in any other way. She also has a half-sister who's older. So lots of mixed families. I, I don't think it's anything really out of the ordinary for them. Yeah. Which more and more is how families are being created. And I, I just, I'm, I am not worried at all about my son because number one, this will always be his normal. But number two, I'm just like, we'll, we'll tackle that bridge when we get there. Like if he has questions, we'll figure out answers, but he, he certainly won't be the only one he knows who's donor conceived or who doesn't have a dad or who has like two gay grandpas or whatever the thing is like we, we just our family looks different but like what is normal I don't know that he'll be able to like point to like this is the norm even in his class like I think it's going to be all different family structures. absolutely yeah that's the beauty of it and I agree I'm hoping for our kids generation that they don't have to struggle through the barriers that we have struggled through, even just the mental barriers of this is what I should be doing. This is the traditional route to motherhood. And if I do something different, it's taboo. Right. Or or it means something about me or I failed in some way. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So I hope that for them. I know they're, they're boys. You have a boy too, but uh, you know, for boys or girls, however, they decide to create their families. Hopefully they don't have to deal with what we've, there will be some of it, but maybe we've knocked down a few barriers for that. I think we have. (laughs) Well, as we wrap up, um, knowing that the show is mostly, the audience is mostly women who are considering or pursuing solo motherhood by choice. Is there anything that you want to say, you know, specifically to that audience or any advice or words words of wisdom, anything that you want to share? My biggest piece of advice would be tell people about your journey, share it with other people because you will get so much more support than you think you're going to. I was so surprised at how much support I got when I started sharing and then it motivated me to share it more. Yeah. And then share it with your Tinder dates and see what happens. <laughs> you never know. You never know what might happen. <laughs> you might end up with a, with a family, with an um, exotic Colombian husband and <laughs> two crazy kids running around. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it so much. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being willing to just kind of lay it all out there and be an example of just one of the ways that this doesn't always go. I mean, you, you kind of went down the path that wasn't what you'd probably planned your whole life. And then it's still the unplanned path didn't go as you planned either. So (laughs) absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. It has been really fun chatting. Yeah, it was so fun. It was wonderful to meet you. Thank you for joining me on the single greatest choice podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute to leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. This will help more women to find our show. If you want to learn more about me, this podcast, my coaching opportunities and retreats, visit my website at singlegreatestchoice.com or find me on Instagram at single underscore greatest underscore choice. Until next time, I'm sending you all my love and support as you go about making the choices that will create a life you love.